<laughs> we had a tremendous men's breakfast yesterday morning, had a great group here. And uh, I, I always try to give the men uh, a little nugget just to, you know, keep them on the up and ups. And I forgot to do that yesterday. So men, ladies, just don't listen right now. Let me go ahead and give you my word of advice. Uh, ladies, you just be quiet, okay? <clears throat> men, if your wife ever says, correct me if I'm wrong, <laughs> do not, under any circumstances, open your mouth, all right? Just wanted to make sure that you had that uh, and knew that under control. Now, the second thing I want to do is reprimand our minister of music. Amen. Oh, there's one clapping. I better never see all these Perkins on another row and somebody not singing up here is what I'm saying. It's a, yeah, you're going next Sunday, aren't you? See, you, you know, and then you're off vacation. You're dirty tricks. Just dirty. If I didn't have, if I had time, I'd make y'all get up here and sing right now. But, No, 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 no. Huh? I think they're serious. I believe, I believe they're serious. What, what a, what, okay, we got, let's change it over to Jesus here just a minute. What, what, what song you want him to sing? How great thou art. Y'all can do that. Come on, Lawson. <laughs> ladies, y'all come on up here too. Yeah, yeah, come on, ladies. Yeah, come on. Come on and join your husbands. Don't do too many verses now. Just. That's a microphone, Daddy. <laughs> oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling Thy power throughout the universe displayed and sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! Ah! 
the woods and forests, glades I wander and hear those birds sing sweetly in the tree. When I look down from mountain lofty grandeur and hear that brook and I feel the gentle breeze when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow when Had a little staff meeting here, no problem. <laughs> I don't want to get ahead of myself, so I'll shut up. All right. Two things we need to just begin to pray with right now, if we could just take a moment and pray. Number one, many of the schools begin this week, and we need to pray for our students and our teachers and administrators and all of those as things get going uh, that uh, God has uh, His way. And uh, God's big enough to do whatever he wants to do. And I'm thankful for our schools in this area. And I want to continue to be praying for them and lift them up. Second thing is this morning, uh, they have announced uh, who the, the pastor uh, prospect is at Moberly. And uh, he'll be coming next Sunday in Beulah Hall. And I want us to pray uh, for that church. I want us to pray for... The people there, as this man comes, I'm praying that he's a godly man, believes the word of God is inerrant, 
uh, because folks, I'm going to tell you, we're not in competition. There's enough lost people around here for 25 churches. Uh, so I want to just stop and pray for these two things right here if we could. God, we are so grateful how great you are. Lord, we could never explain it in human terms what's really on our heart. But God, I thank you for your creativity, for your greatness, for your majesty, for your love and long-suffering and kindness, and Lord, most of all, for the saving blood of Jesus Christ that gives us that eternal life that one day we'll go to. I ask you, Lord Jesus, would you touch every teacher that's in this church today, those that are not here, wherever they are, Lord, touch them. Some of them saved, some of them not saved. But I pray, Lord Jesus, your spirit would touch them where they are. And you would draw them close to you. Let them know that they're not alone, that we love them and pray for them and stand behind them and encourage them. I pray for our leaders, administrators, and those who have a part, those who drive buses and those who work in the cafeteria, those, Lord, who labor there and aides and all of those, God. We lift them up and ask you to just put the peace that passeth all understanding in their lives and help them be an example to our precious students and our children and young people. And then, Lord, today, I'd ask you, Lord, uh, it's been a tough couple of years for Moberly, and I pray, Lord Jesus, this would be the beginning of, of a renewal and a beginning of, uh, uh, of just back on the upswing again. I pray, God, for the man that you have chosen to come. I pray that, Lord, he'll follow your will, that you will bless him, you'll bless that church, you'll bless that staff. And Lord, most of all, may we work together that the kingdom may be increased and the glory of God might be seen in East Texas, that men may see our works and glorify the Father in heaven is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Turn, if you would, to... Matthew chapter 9 Matthew chapter 9 beginning in verse 35 we've been in a series this summer of uh, the gospel for 21st century America uh, a lot of things have changed but the gospel is still the death burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ anyone try to tell you any different they're wrong they're false prophets they're not telling the truth the gospel is the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I wrestle with the question, and the older I get, the more I wrestle with this question. I'm telling you, it, it eats my lunch. I want to leave an impact on this area, in this city, in this church, and churches around. And I tell you, I'm getting older, and I just, it's my pet peeve. I, I, I don't want to do junk that's not going to further the kingdom of God. And maybe there's some stuff we're doing here that we need to reevaluate. Maybe we need to say, look, it, it might make us feel good, but it ain't doing nothing. And if it's not winning souls and not discipling Christians, we don't have any business doing it. These are last days that we're living in. We don't have much time left. And I want to tell you, I want to use the rest of my time, whatever it is, to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and see people saved. I feel like I'm the biggest problem with evangelism uh, we, we do a good job of, of doing missions and we're going on mission trips and we're supporting missions year-round and we're doing that and, and and all that's great but but folks I want to tell you to win this world 
and then lose our own Jerusalem is not what the answer is. We've got to, it, it can't be either or, it's got to be and, and. We've got to be winning people here and reaching out here and some of the things that I, I was reminded of a dream that I had uh, years ago and it's never come to pass. And I thought, you know what? I, I thought God was in that and maybe I just let down. Uh, I, I try to preach the gospel as often as I can. I try, uh, my wife would tell you I'm a pretty negative person anyway. I try to preach negatively, but I try to end up on a good note uh, most of the time. Uh, but I, I feel like probably, I mean, I've been to seminars, I've been to classes, I've been to seminaries, and I've been to colleges, and I've had EE, and I've had CWT, and I've had all of these other different things there. And yet, uh, you know, I, I've done all that, and yet I think, my goodness, when I get an opportunity to witness, I'll say something like, you know, they're probably too busy to hear this now. I know you don't ever do that. They're, they're probably got a lot of things on their mind, and I just, I just need to leave them alone. There'll be a better time coming. There's not a better time coming, folks. I tell you, we're, we're watching the world go south very fast. And then to be busy with the work of the church and to, uh, we lack, sometimes as Christians, we lack contacts with lost people. I mean, we love our fellowship. Man, I want to tell you, I done figured out one thing in this church. There's two things that you better leave alone in this church. One of them is burgers and bingo. We're having that Labor Day, all right? The second one is game night. I bet I had 30 calls. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We've got to have game night. What are we going to do? I mean, the phone was ringing off. The electricity power was out. Had a little tornado here, and power went out. Listen, it don't worry about Sunday morning, but bless God, don't you mess with that game night. My soul have mercy. What is our motivation for sharing Christ? I want to tell you, it ought to be loving Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and body. That ought to be the motivation we've got. And we need to ask God to give us the heart that Jesus had for lost people. Spurgeon said in verse 38 here, have we read the scripture yet? We haven't done it yet. Stand with me as we read the word of God. Holy, inspired, inerrant, all sufficient. Look at verse 35. Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and they were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. Father, thank you today. Just the joy to come into a place and feel your presence. Lord, we know everything we've got here comes from you. We know, God, every perfect and good gift cometh down from above. It comes from you. Lord, we know the precious spirit is in this place. That's your Holy Spirit. God, we could do nothing without you. We're asking you this morning, Lord, to help us to have the mind of Christ, even as you've told us we could in your word. May people not hear me, but may they hear you. And then, Lord, may we be obedient 
to do whatever you've called us to do. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Spurgeon said, verse 38 was the verse that haunted him all of his life. It was like a perpetual haunting. Uh, uh, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers. It gives us a summary. Verse 35 gives us a summary of what Jesus' ministry was doing. Uh, He was going through villages. He was teaching. He was proclaiming the gospel. He was healing every kind of disease and sickness. And then in verses 36 through 38, there's a specific incident on one of those occasions when he saw crowds. Now, I'm going to give you the sermon, so if you go to sleep, you wake up and you'll know what the three points are, all right? Uh, Because we're fast today. We're moving quick. Number one, we need to see as Jesus saw. Number two, we need to feel as Jesus felt. And number three, we need to do as Jesus did. Let's look at the first one there. We need to see as Jesus saw. Presumably, Jesus and the disciples saw the same thing. They're there, and a crowd is coming. He'd been healing people. He'd been sharing the gospel. He'd been helping people and and all of this, all kinds of sicknesses, the Word of God says. And now here comes a crowd. Now, the disciples are watching the crowd coming, and Jesus is watching the crowd coming. But I submit to you, the disciples didn't see the same thing Jesus saw. Jesus saw the crowd, and the Bible says he had compassion on them. He was moved with compassion. You remember the disciples when they had the crowd before, they came to the Lord and said, now Lord, we've had a great backyard Bible club today, but it's getting late and you need to send these folk home before dark. Jesus said, no, we're not. They're hungry, Lord. We're going to feed them. We we, we know what we're going to do. We're going to feed them. You see, the disciples are looking in one set of eyes, and Jesus is looking. Listen, we need to see the need of lost people. That's what Jesus was seeing. The lost people are worth going the second mile for. The lost people are worth parking out in the rocks so they can get up in an easy drive place. The the, the lost people are worth uh, going up in the attic up here and sitting up here uh, so that they can have the better seats. The lost people is what Jesus sees, and we need to see the need of lost people today. There's probably nothing unusual about that crowd than it was any other crowd. may have been a few more sick and disabled there because of what Jesus had been doing. Years ago, uh, in one of our Southern Baptist seminaries, they decided to find out uh, just what the seminary students, they were all working on their doctorate degrees. And uh, they got 40 students. They put them in one building. And they had an assignment, one by one. They had to leave that building, go to another building that was probably 300 yards away from that one. And there would be a tape recorder in there. And they would record uh, something, a a devotion about the sermon on the the, uh, Samaritan, the Good Samaritan. Or they could record anything of their life history, any pros and cons of their life. Now, what they didn't know was that the seminary had hired an actor to to be between the two buildings. And as the seminary students would walk to that other building to do their assignment, there would be a guy that would just simply limp over and fall over, and he would groan, and, you know, you could tell he was homeless and he was in great need 
22 out of 40 of those seminary students walked around him and kept going. Out of the 22 of the 40 that went around him and kept going, 18 of them were doing their dissertation on the Good Samaritan. Now listen, you, you, you say, now preacher, if we would have known that, yes. But I'm telling you, Jesus knew those things. He looked at people. He met them individually. And he always, listen, he always considered somebody lost until they told him they were saved. See, that's what we need to do. We need to think, anybody we come in contact with, they're already lost. They're going to hell. So it's my responsibility to tell them about the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. And then when I do that and they say, oh, I'm already saved, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. All you lost was a few syllables and a few words. You know, and then you got the assurance that somebody's saved. Sometimes when we get the guts to tell somebody about Jesus, they'll say, no, I'm not interested. And so then automatically we'll say, well, that wraps that up. I'm not going to ever do that again. Listen, they didn't reject you. They rejected the Lord. Your job is not to win them to Jesus. Your job is to share the seed. The Holy Spirit's the one that's got to win them. Hmm. Jesus saw lost people. He saw them in several ways. Number one, the Bible says he saw them in verse 36 uh, because they fainted. Some of your translations will say troubled or maybe it'll say vexed. It points to a load of problems that people have uh, that they can't bear without Christ. Can, can you imagine how you operate in this world without Jesus? I mean, now you're, you're sitting here and you, you know, we got problems. Everybody in here got problems. We got our own set of problems. And yet, were it not for the Lord Jesus Christ, can you, can you believe the God that created the heavens and the earth opened a pathway that we've got direct access to him 24 hours a day, that we can come before the throne room and talk with him and share our problems? Wow! And we don't do it. That's usually the last thing that happens. Folks that are going through divorce, by the time they get to our offices here in the church, it's already too far gone. They done hit everything they know to hit, and it's not working. Listen, prayer ought to be the very first thing. Jesus saw lost people as distress. He also saw them as fainting. They were dispirited or downcast or thrown down. It, it points to the helplessness and the forsaken condition of people who are lost in sin. I didn't realize this. Though according to uh, the research, a sheep can get turned over on their back and not be able to get up by themselves. Now, a dog can't do that. He'll just roll over and go, but a sheep can't do that. They'll just kick their legs. And if somebody doesn't come and turn them right side up, within a few days, they'll die. They can't do it. It's called cast or cast down. And Jesus is saying right here, these people are cast down, and they need a shepherd to come and turn them right side up. That's what the Lord can do. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, let me tell you, there ain't no preacher going to help you. There's no church going to help you. There's no denomination going to help you. There's no good works going to help you. There's no social gospel going to help you. Nothing's going to help you but the blood of Jesus Christ. 
That's it. That's it. He saw people distressed. He saw them dispirited. And then he saw lost people as sheep without a shepherd. The religious leaders of the Jews, they should have been the ones that were shepherding these people. They they should have been the ones that were pointing people to God. But instead, they were self-righteous. They were self-seeking. They were looking down on common people as sinners, making cracks like, you know, what are them people doing in our church? Where'd they come from? My soul have mercy. God have mercy on us. They were fleecing the flock. They weren't shepherding. There was a story, true story, several years ago, a young father named James Lee. Uh, he was in a tavern in a phone booth. He called a reporter, and he told the reporter he was fixing to kill himself. He said, I'm sending you the, the outline of my life and, and everything, but I, I'm, I'm going to kill myself. Well, the reporter immediately turned in. They traced the call. They got there, but he was already dead. Shot himself, and he was dead. In his pocket was a child's crayon drawing. It had been folded over and over and was worn. And it was written on it, please leave in my coat pocket. I want to have it buried with me. And the drawing was signed in a childish print by the man's daughter, Shirley. Little girl, Shirley, had died six months before. He just never got over the grief. And Shirley's mama had died when she was two years old. And the man just simply said, before he took his life, all he had in life was gone. And he felt so all alone. Now, I want to tell you, there's not a one of us in this place today that if somebody came and we knew that, we wouldn't say, come go eat lunch with us today. Come, come, come over to my house. We'll pray together. We'll, we'll, we'll talk this thing out. We'll, we'll. There's not a one of us in this room that wouldn't do that. But you see, the problem is those people are not going to tell you up front what they're going to do. You've got to see it through the eyes of Jesus. Jesus saw. We've got to see like Jesus sees. And and then he not only saw lost people, but Jesus saw the great harvest of lost people. He said the harvest is plenteous in verse 37. It's an important concept, I think, that Jesus wants us to grasp as well as the disciples to grasp that, hey, Uh, The harvest is plenty. Don't come up here telling me people don't want to hear the Lord and and, and be saved. They do. Most of them don't even know what they need. We don't need to be giving people what they want. We need to be giving people what they need. And they need Jesus. They need churches that talk about Jesus and churches that believe the Word of God is the Word of God. And they're not going to compromise on convictions. They're not going to compromise because the world says, well, you better do this or we're not going to, we're going to riot outside. We're going to make signs. We're going to cut your money. You do whatever you want to do. We stand on the Word of God. That's what we've got to do. We've got to continue to do that. He told uh, in John 4, 35, lift up your eyes, look onto the harvest. The fields are white unto harvest. Luke 10, 2, he repeated, repeated the same thing. Acts chapter 16, Acts 18, verse 10, he told Paul, he said, Paul, I've got people in that town. You keep preaching the word of God. Sometimes we think we're all alone. Man, we're not alone. 
There's people that hadn't bowed to the, to the world all over this country. That's all that's holding the judgment back from, I believe, Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. It's God's job to open the hearts of the people. It's our job to share and to be a witness. Now, thirdly, Jesus saw the great need for workers. He said the workers are few. The workers are few. Uh, he changes metaphors here. He's, he's talking about sheep, first of all, and then now he moves down to a harvest. And, and these two, the sheep and the harvest, uh, show two sides of the matter. The sheep and the shepherd show that man's need is met by God. Your needs are not met any other way except by God. That's it. You say, oh, no, I work hard. No, God gave you the strength to even work, period. He gave you the air to breathe. He gave you the resources you've got. He's blessed you. People say, well, I was lucky. No, you weren't lucky. God blessed you. And then he, the good shepherd seeks out lost sheep and he ministers to them. And the harvest and the workers show that God's need is met by man. Aren't you thankful this morning that God chooses us to be the vessel to teach others about Jesus Christ? He could have had the angels do it. He could have had riding in the cloud. He could have done anything he wanted to do. But he chose us. Those who've been delivered out of darkness into a marvelous light. Those who were lost without Christ, who've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. He chose us to share the gospel and to bring the kingdom of God to fruition here on this earth. Now here's the kicker. If you're one of Jesus' sheep, you're one of his servants. Say, oh, no, 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 preacher. He's talking about full time. You'll never find the word full time anywhere in this book. I'm telling you right now, he's talking about every one of us. We've got friends. This is not a dress rehearsal. When the Lord comes back, I was visiting two yesterday. Uh, Laquita was one of them, and she said, I'm ready. I, I wish he'd come today. I said, I do too. But if he came today, some of you would be left here. And there's no other chance after that. I'm telling you, we've got to be busy sharing the gospel in this day and time that we live. And then Jesus has a viewpoint here of a farmer that's got a great crop ready for harvest, but he don't have enough reapers. Hmm. Now let me hasten to tell you this. I've seen some cantankerous, tanked up, torqued up people in my life. I've seen some that you ain't going to get me to do nothing, preacher. That's what we pay you for. And that's fine. That is your decision. You don't have to do a thing. You don't have to do one thing. I believe, and I know I'm just a crazy old country preacher, <laughs> but I believe. That if, what I want to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Huh? Anybody want to hear that today? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now listen, if he is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that means some folk going to get in heaven by the skin of their britches. He's going to say, you ain't done nothing for me. But I saved you. I died for you. But you haven't done well. 
It doesn't stand a reason. If, if, if I'm waiting to hear him say, well done, that means he may not say well done. Man, can you imagine being in that line, smoking or non-smoking? I mean, this line here going to get in, but they're smoking. I'm telling you, you can smell the smoke. But here's a line. I want to be in that line that says, well done. Well done. Well done. Well, let me give you the second thing. We ought to see like Jesus sees. I got six minutes to get through two more. <clears throat> we ought to feel like Jesus felt. Feel like Jesus felt. The verse in 36, seeing the people, he had compassion. He felt compassionate for them. That Greek word translated felt compassion is used a lot in the Gospels by Jesus. It's related to a noun meaning the inward parts. In other words, it wasn't a flippant, oh yeah, I, oh, I sure hate those homeless people here. I drive down Highway 80 and I, I pray for them. I, Lord bless them and just drive on. No, this is an inward gut feeling. He had compassion for them. He, he felt that. Now, I'm going to quote this. <clears throat> I can prove that it was in Reader's Digest in May of 1979. I think Dr. Billy Sunday preached it, but I can prove it was in Reader's Digest. The greatest sermon, a bold sermon. Point number one, there are millions of people around the world who are going to hell. You agree with that? Point number two, most of us sitting here today don't give a damn about that. Point number three, you're more concerned that I said damn than you are about the millions going to hell. I mean, that, hey, we, we chuckle about that, but that's the gospel truth. I mean, we'll fight over little old nitpicking things, and, and all around us, people are dying without Christ. See, our focus, we're, we're not the same people. We, we have different needs. We have different activities we do. But when we come to the house of God here, our unity ought to be on reaching people for Jesus. We ought to leave the other junk outside. And let's get on with winning people to Jesus, reaching the, in the gospel. Well, let me give you this last one I'm through. We need to do as Jesus did. You can go ahead and take the WWJD bracelet off. You don't have to wonder what Jesus would do. We already have in the book what he did. So you don't have to wonder what he did. He ministered to the people their spiritual and physical needs. This, this is... a Ministry is not a stained glass deal. Many on the building committee would know that I had a design on the front of the building that has three stained glass windows, big ones. They told me we didn't have enough money. So we shut the windows down and we just looked, we built something that looked like windows. When you're driving out, you can just look, it looks like three windows ought to be there, but they don't. And the reason they're not 
is because we'd rather spend that money on buses and bringing children in than we would on having stained glass windows on the front of the church. Matthew summarizes Jesus' ministry. Teaching, proclaiming the gospel, healing, disease, and sickness. Now I want to tell you, not, not everybody's called to teach. If you're, if you're not called to teach, don't teach. We, we've got some new classrooms that are going to be opening up. We're going to need some new teachers. I've sat in classes before where I like to war hold my britches just trying to sit there and listen to somebody. If God didn't call you and gift you to teach, don't teach. Don't do that. Do something else. We got a wonderful group of young people. This church got some great young people. You, you know, I hear people say, well, they don't, they don't ever speak to me. They don't ever say anything. They're scared to death of you. <laughs> Amen? We don't have a young person up there that if you don't say, hey, how are you doing today, they won't speak back to you. Cut the ice. Be an encourager. Do as Jesus did. Minister to people. Some of these young people, the greatest thing they need is a little encouragement. They're going through things that you never dreamed of going through when you were their age. They're dealing with situations that you would have never dreamed would have happened to you. As a 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, you would have never dreamed it. Everybody's not gifted to teach publicly. But in privately, every one of us are commanded to be a witness. You say, I can't do it. Come on, get real. You'll do what you want to do. I'm telling you, there's nobody in this auditorium that couldn't take a track and hand it to somebody and say, hey, read this when you get a chance. You say, well, that's not what... God uses tracks. I remember when I was younger, I had a youth director that told me, if you ain't got enough guts to hand them a track, go in the bathroom and put it up under the toilet paper so when they pull it out, the track will fall out there. But you get them, you get them a track. You get them something. You witness. Tucker has done a tremendous job on our evangelism director. And uh, he's going to start training this week on Thursdays. You say, I don't know how to do it. We got, we're providing training for you. Even providing dinner for you. Mm. But it's real simple. All you got to do is realize that we're all sinners. Anybody in here not a sinner? We're all sinners. Now you can throw Romans 3.23 in there. It's always good to have a scripture. And then you just need to tell folks, hey, you do realize that nothing you do is good enough to get you into heaven? Because a lot of people, when you witness to them, they're going to tell you, oh, I, I, I've been a Christian all my life. I've been doing good. I've been living good. You live good all you want to. That's not going to get you to heaven. Not going to do it. The Word of God says there's none good. No, not one. And then you just say, but in the middle of all that, even though you're wicked and you're sinful and all of that, God looked down and sent his son out of love to die on the cross for us. Be a good spot to plug Romans 5, 8 in there. And then you just need to say, look, you need to turn from your sins and trust Jesus as your sin bearer. Romans 10, 9, and 10 would be a good place. 
And then you can put the icing on the cake and say, when you do that, according to the Word of God, in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the plan of salvation. You just need to do it over and over again until you learn it and you get it down. Learn some verses. Jesus prayed for more workers too. Now, you say, wait a minute. <clears throat> that verse don't say Jesus prayed. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plenteous, but labor is few. Pray ye therefore. Let me tell you, Jesus never asked any of us to do anything that he hasn't already done. He was praying for the, uh, for the harvest too. Now, now, let me just tell you this. When you start praying for laborers in the harvest, it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Dr. Ledgers was a pastor back in the 20s. He was a well-known pastor. He had $50 in his billfold, and that was a lot of money back then. And he was on the street, and he met a, one of the missionaries, and they said, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting at our church. We'd love if you'd come join us. He said, okay, I will. So he went over there and had a prayer meeting. They're getting ready. There's eight or ten of them there. They're getting ready to have the prayer meeting. Dr. Ledger said, listen, what are we praying for? We need to be specific. What, what do we need? You said there's an urgent need. And he said, well, there's an urgent need that we need $50 right now. They prayed in a circle all the way around that thing. Didn't get anywhere. One of the missionaries said, uh, I honestly don't think we've got a hold of God. I think we need to pray some more. They started again, the second round around that circle. About halfway around that circle, there was a woman praying, and God spoke to Dr. Dr. Ledgers and said, uh, you got $50 in your pocket. He said, well, I wasn't planning on putting it here. <laughs> he said, you got $50 in your pocket. He said, excuse me, ma'am, go ahead and quit praying. Shut her down. God answered the prayer, here's $50. You say, what does that mean to us? It may mean when you start praying for the laborers, for God to send more laborers, he may tap you on the shoulder and say, you're the one I'm talking about. You may not can drive a bus, but you could surely ride a bus. Carry your pillow with you. I mean, there's no, those who ride those buses, isn't it fun? Don't lie to me, it's good. You better say it's good. <laughs> you, you, you may not can teach a youth Sunday school or a children's Sunday school, but you could at least kind of roam the halls and say, hey, great to have you today, man. You don't know what a blessing you are when you come to church. It's great. I have people all the time telling me, these children coming down, boy, that's the greatest thing in the world. Well, go tell them that. Be an encouragement to them. The, the conclusion is, what's your motive? If you're here today and you're without Jesus, let me tell you, you can't do anything until you get saved. You need to be saved. You need to trust Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you need a church home. I'd invite you to come be a part of this. This is not a perfect church. You're not going to find a perfect church. If you do, you join it, you're going to mess it up. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, this church believes the Word of God. And we're standing up for the Word of God. These teachers in Sunday school, I don't have to worry about them saying, well, God might not have meant what he said. God means exactly what he says. 
the word of God is true. It's settled in heaven. It's not changing. And neither is the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection. Father, thank you today that we've been able just to have a great time going through your word. Thank you for just a spirit of rejoicing. And God, I pray today, Lord, for those that need to be saved. Oh, Father, maybe, maybe we just need to pray, oh, God, help us to see as you see. Maybe there's somebody here in this place that maybe we ought to lean over to and ask them, are, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Because I'll, I'll go down there with you. Maybe there are others that need special needs. And Lord, these altars are here for that. Would you have your way, God, whatever you want done? We'll be satisfied if you're satisfied. In Jesus' name. Would you stand?